Good morning, church. That's pretty good for a day that feels like the lights are off in here, but uh, I always like these days. It feels a little cozy, a little comfortable, maybe a little more familiar. Uh, I hope you all had a good week, and I hope you're looking forward to this one as well. Uh, if you're visiting with us today, we are so happy to have you here. I want to echo what Steve said. Uh, welcome. We are excited that you're here. At this point, if you're visiting with somebody, they're probably nudging you, trying to explain very quietly that this is not the regular act that happens right now, that there's normally somebody else, but I wore glasses to try to blend in. Um, I hope that this worship is encouraging for all of you, and I hope, more importantly, that you feel invested in this. Um, and you may have noticed, Randy's not here, uh, which is a bummer. Um, he's at home with COVID. We also have several other people uh, at home sick with that. Um, I found out on Friday uh, that he was actually sick. On Thursday afternoon on my way out, I joked with Rachel and Laurel and said, let me know if you need me to preach, and here we are. So uh, that was kind of a joke, and now it's not. But um, I was texting with Randy this morning, and he said he's doing better, um, but you guys better get real used to me speak. I'm just kidding. Okay. Um, <laughs> But I did get to talk with him. He is doing better, um, and so we're excited about that. If this is not as in-depth or as insightful as you were anticipating, just go ahead and plan your next visit. That would be great. Um, but before we get into the Word, before we get into uh, why we're, we're here this morning to focus on uh, what Jesus has to say to us as his children, uh, let's start with a prayer, please. Father God, we're so grateful for a place where we can gather safely to worship you, to commune with you, to study your word, to worship Jesus. God, we are grateful. God, at this time, I want to pray for Randy and, and the rest of our brothers and sisters that are sick. God, we pray for healing among your children. God, I pray uh, for these words. I pray that you speak through me and that it would be about you and your son. God, thank you so much for all that you've done for us, for all that you uh, will do for us. God, we are uh, so grateful for your spirit and for your son, Jesus. It's in his name that we offer up our thanks, our praise, and this prayer. Amen. When I don't have as much time uh, as usual or as much time as I would like to prepare something, I'm going to go with something familiar, and, and I want to go with something that Jesus said. And so we'll get into that here in just a second. Uh, I want to talk about my, my personal struggle with uh, contentment and, and how it fits into this universal battle for being content. It's this huge biblical idea, but it's something that we fight for on an individual level. Uh, if you flip to the back of the bulletin, you'll see there's a notes section, and we're going to fill that today. I'm just, again, joking. Uh, there's nothing there, but I'm going to try to give you some highlights, uh, some scripture that you can write down and read on your own when you have a second. Uh, when I was growing up, I thought that thieves and robbers, people that would you know, sneak up to your house and they would cut a perfect circle in your glass and they would reach through and unlock that. I thought that was going to be a much bigger deal than it's turned out to be. Uh, I thought that's how it worked, that they would sneak in really quietly while I was asleep and they would cut that hole, punch it through, and they would reach in and then they would take all my stuff. That's how that was perceived to a, a little boy. And now I know that it's not like that at all. It, it was maybe a year ago, uh, there was a young man who was really struggling with some stuff that walked through our neighborhood just five minutes down the road from here. And he, he stole things out of 18 different cars. And he took loose change, and he took phone chargers, and uh, the, the big ticket item, he took some handguns, multiple handguns, which I was like, oh, man, we got multiple people driving around with guns in my neighborhood. That was, you know, eye-opening for me. 
Uh, he took my sunglasses out of my truck. He opened my truck and, and took my sunglasses and then threw them in the yard, which really hurt my feelings because that meant they were ugly and he didn't want to steal them, <laughs> which is pretty messed up, you know? So he threw them in the yard and hurt my feelings. And then when the police came back and they wanted to, you know, follow up and get some reports and ultimately they, t- you know, are telling us, hey, we caught this guy. You know, it's a bad situation, but here's kind of the details. We found out that every car he stole from, every car he robbed, was unlocked. He didn't have to cut a hole and punch through and steal. He just opened all of our doors. I thought I was the one who left the door unlocked, right? But it was all of us. We had all set ourselves up to be robbed. We had all set ourselves up uh, for these thieves and robbers to come. And if I asked everyone in this room to kind of take a, a, a mental image of when I say robbed or robbery or, or thief or steal, we're, we're going to have a million different images come to mind very quickly. But if I, if I say something that you think of, when I say robbed, I want you to think of that first thing and, and just raise your hand if you think about this. If you think about somebody breaking into your house when you hear robbed, raise your hand real quick and you can kind of keep it up. Okay. Go to is the house. What about uh, somebody breaking into your car? Raise your hand. A few of you. Okay. What about like a smash and grab at a jewelry store? Maybe out of the movies. A couple of you, you go to, straight to the jewelry, right? What about a bank robbery? Everybody on the ground. Anybody? There's a few, few of you. Hudson, way up there. Hudson got, you know, very dramatic. He's like, of course, that's what I think of. That's good. Maybe you think about the pickpocket on the screen. Anybody think about that? When you hear robbery, you think it's, it's sneaky. They're taking it out. A few of you. You can be robbed a million different ways, right? You can be robbed online now. You can be robbed by pickpocket. You can be robbed when you're not home. You can be robbed of your health. You can be robbed of your energy. When we think about things that steal from us, there's a million different things that come to mind. Appalachian State walking into Texas A&M, robbing them of a victory yesterday. That's, that's painful. You can even rob yourself. Psychiatrists say that uh, we now have a name for this um, kind of disorder, I guess. It's eventually going to be one. This phenomenon uh, of revenge bedtime procrastination. I suffer from that, right? We've so overscheduled ourselves that we then rob ourselves of sleep so that we can have more leisure time in the evening, right? This idea of being content with what we have with what we have on a physical level, on a a mental level, being content with what we have, with our stuff, that's a biblical idea. And being content can be described, and this is what we're going to talk about a lot today, as a feeling of security, a feeling of safety, a feeling of comfort. And a lot of us, most of us, spend our lives chasing those feelings We set that as the goal. That's our definition of success. I want to be secure. I want to feel safe. I want to be comfortable. And if I can feel those things, then I have arrived. I've made it. I'm successful. Now I can relax. And it's in those moments that we rob ourselves. We rob ourselves of our own security, our own comfort, our own feelings of safety with two words. What if? What if... Fill in the blank, right? What if inflation right now? That's a popular one. Uh, What if the market does this? What if they, and then whoever they is, does whatever they do, right? And if we're not creative enough to fill in that blank ourselves, turn on any electronic, right? Uh, The television is going to fill it in for you. What if TV? What if podcast, radio, newspaper, if you still get those, right? They're all great at suggesting what ifs. What if causes us to rob ourselves of contentment. And our answer to most what-ifs is usually more stuff. 
I'm going to build bigger walls. I'm going, that's incredible. I hope it's not my microphone. I'm just kidding. I don't have one, so I don't know what the deal is, but you'll get, we'll get over it together. Um, our answer to most what ifs is usually more stuff. It's build bigger walls. It's build bigger barns. It's um, have more things to insulate ourselves, to protect my stuff, to protect myself. I will acquire more things to be more comfortable. I will amass wealth, not for pleasure, but for safety. We like to think that achieving the biblical idea of contentment is possible by simply reaching greener grass. And it's not. Then we hear what Jesus has to say about contentment. If you want to turn to Matthew chapter 6, we're going to be there for a little bit. And then we'll do just a tiny bit of hopping around. And then we'll end up on what Hudson read for us this morning in John chapter 10. Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Jesus speaks briefly to this idea of contentment without really saying contentment, right? Verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus immediately highlights the problem with contentment through stuff. That's our answer for contentment. I need more things. I need wealth to put a bubble between me and discomfort. And Jesus says, that's not how it works. We have no control over our things. These things are all insecure. These things can be gone in an instant. And you can go to the Murray County Fair and spend your fortune in an hour, right? It can be gone in an instant. Jesus is saying, don't make a bad investment. Don't think you're making a secure investment in your personal contentment, our goal, right? If it's simply stuff, if it's simply wealth. Your heart, he ends that passage, right? Your heart cannot be secure or content if your treasure is not. And I must therefore change what I treasure. That's difficult for me. Because I've been told, whether out loud or inadvertently, my whole life, that comfort, security, safety, that's the goal. How do I get it more stuff? And Jesus says the exact opposite. Matthew 6, 24, skip down a couple of verses. No one can serve two masters. You've heard this before, so hang with me. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Very popular verse. It's interesting to me that he doesn't say you cannot serve God and Satan. You cannot serve God and and the world. It's very specific. The New Testament reminds us over and over again that the title fight for your heart for your affection, for your loyalty, for your love, is between God and money. It's between God and our answer to that question, how can I be content? I cannot pursue contentment in both things. I cannot be content in God, and I cannot be content in my wealth, and I cannot pursue those in the, in the same way. Skip a couple more verses, Matthew six thirty-one through 33. Therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. I I still have, um, from my first youth ministry job, which was an, an interesting job, you're trying to figure things out, 
and it's those first couple of years, and it's just you, you know, and you're, you're meeting these teens, and it, it was an interesting situation. I still feel bad about how hard I harped on students about, like, how they spent their money, and I thought I was very righteous, and that I didn't have any money to spend, and their parents were buying their stuff, and I'd be like, I can't believe you're spending your parents' hard-earned money on shoes and that sort of thing, and I still feel like I stepped on some toes, and I definitely step on my own often in this, and then Jesus says things like this, and I think maybe we, we, we go too easy on ourselves. He says it's the pagans, it's the unbelievers, it's the Gentiles that seek contentment in what they wear and what they eat and what they drink. Jesus says it's even the unbelievers that seek security in those things, that seek security, safety, comfort in their stuff. And we have to be different. Our Father knows what you need, so seek God. Pursue Him. I know when Jenna and I first started dating, um, I wrote letters like it was the 1800s, just so, you know, long ago. And I would write these notes. And I remember like telling her as we were getting closer to being engaged and we were in love that I would always pursue her, you know, and that's such a sweet thing to say. And then I'm like, well, what does that even mean anymore? What does it mean in 2022 when you've got three kids and you're really pursuing them actively down the hallway? And you're like, well, how do I pursue my wife's heart? I think it's different for a lot of people. I think it looks like different things for everybody. But our pursuit of God must be before our pursuit of things. And it's so easy to get it twisted. It's so easy to get it backwards here in the culture that we live in. We live in a culture that it says a lot of the exact opposite often. Okay, now let's jump around a little bit. You're going to have to follow along. Like I said, use the notes. You can write these down. You can fact check me later. But 1 Timothy 6 verse 17 Paul's telling Timothy, um, and he's addressing rich people through Timothy, right? He says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, not to be arrogant, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Wealth, stuff, things, riches. What does Paul say? He's echoing Jesus here. It's all uncertain. It is all uncertainty. This cannot be the foundation of, on which our faith, our hope, our love, our attitude, our life cannot be built on these things. We cannot build our hope for security, our comfort. Any of that cannot be built on stuff that writes checks that it cannot cash. Isn't that ironic? It promises you a future. It promises that you that you'll be content. It promises you that it's enough. And then you get there. You get the bigger check. You get to the greener grass. You've moved to that place. You have the better job. And you're like, ah, I don't know. What if it all goes away? because of the market, because of the whatever. There could be something terrible that happens in our country and it costs me everything. And if your hope is built on that, if your comfort is built on that, if your attitude, that's a big one, right? If, if I am uh, struggling in all sorts of different areas, but if Bear comes up to me or one of the twins crawls up to me and is trying to you know, talk to me and I snap on them because my hope is in something else and it's struggling, you can draw your own parallels, right? But there's all sorts of examples of where I take out my anger, my bad attitude on other people because my hope is in something else and I have messed up my priorities. Wealth promises to be enough and it simply cannot be. It's like a law of the universe that cannot be enough. Well, why? Why can't it be enough? Why isn't there a magic number? You know, they talk about you know, once you crack $70,000 or whatever the number is, it's always moving. But once you make that much money, once you're making over that, well, it doesn't really make that much of a difference. 
I want to talk to Jeff Bezos and be like, I think it does. You know, I, I, I assume that it does make a difference. But why is it that you're, you know, not as happy? It's, you know, not the exponential gains with more money. Why is that? I do think we have a biblical answer for some of that. Let's go to Colossians 3, verse 5. Again, Paul talking about this situation without really speaking into this situation. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. He calls it what it is. Why can't wealth and stuff and things equal comfort forever? Why doesn't that add up? Why is that some law of the universe? Because it's a false god. And serving that money, serving stuff, serving wealth, if your priorities are built on that, if everything is founded on that, it will collapse. It is idolatry. It is not a real God, and it cannot promise you anything. It's not wrong to have wealth. Obviously, there were wealthy Christians in Paul's time that he's writing about. It's not wrong uh, to amass these things. It's not wrong to have stuff. The temptation comes when you have those things to love those things, and that's tricky for our pursuit to be those things once we've tasted that, right? Once we've gotten those things, we start to reprioritize. Well, I want more so I can be less stressed out. And our comfort to come from conquering and acquiring instead of pursuing him. The book of Hebrews does an excellent job of, and you've heard studies on this before, Jesus is better than fill in the blank, and he goes through all these different things from the Old Testament and then speaks into just the general human existence, right? And it says Jesus is better than all sorts of these different things. He's better than our stuff. Hebrews 13, uh, 5 through 6 is where we're going to be next. The author says this, Keep your life free from love of money. Be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Does that sound familiar? I I did a real loose job of tying this into the Joshua series that Randy has been preaching through. But that's the same promise that God made Joshua in Joshua 1. That's the Old Testament parallel that we see here in Hebrews 13. He says, look, keep your life free from stuff and wealth and pursuing those things and loving those things. Be content with what you have. Because the Lord has made this promise even way back then that I will never leave you nor forsake you. It's a promise that your stuff cannot make. The market cannot make that promise. Your IRAs, your 401ks, they cannot make those promises. Jesus says, invest in me and I will never leave you. Pursue me and I will pursue you back. And then what's the response? Verse 6, it's confidence, right? We can respond confidently. Verse 6, we can confidently say the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. It is in that pursuit of him that he does not leave us and the safety, the security, the comfort, our contentment that we've been fighting for on an individual level, this universal problem of how, how can I be happy? How can I be content? How do I reach these goals? Comes from our relationship with him. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. There's a sense of security that comes from our relationship with Jesus. We can find true contentment in him. All right, the last passage that we're going to visit is the one that Hudson read for us this morning. Um, And this is a great time. We're, We're about to land the plane. And if you're like me, a parent with kiddos, and you need to start putting stuff in the backpack and getting ready to leave, now's a great time. Because then you'll tune back in for something way more better than this. Okay, so um, John 10, uh, 8 through 10. 
All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The chief, the thief, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Ephesians 6 says that these robbers and thieves, we know in Jesus' context, he's referencing uh, religious leaders, uh, other you know, prophets, false prophets, false teachers that came before him that tried to gain followers, to gain their loyalty, to, to have an audience. And that context has changed through time for sure for us. It's, it means different things like what is the thief and robber for us now? Ephesians 6 says it's not just physical people, right? That it's not just uh, flesh and blood that our battle is against. And I like that. It says it's about these powers. The enemy behind the enemy is something that my friend Wes in Texas, he would talk about this and he, he heard the quote somewhere else too. But he would talk about there's an enemy behind the enemy. It's not the flesh and blood. Our battle is not with each other. We're, we're all image bearers of God. And so even these people that Jesus says are thieves and robbers, he says there's powers of darkness behind them. And sure, it gets into a scary spiritual warfare conversation, and it's really intense. But our contentment, our safety, our comfort is in this relationship with Jesus. Ephesians 6 says that there are powers of of darkness in the world that are behind these people that are, are seeking our loyalty, that are seeking to steal our contentment, that are seeking... Um, contentment in anything uh, that the world has to offer. It's robbing us, right? We set ourselves up to be robbed. It's like leaving the door unlocked. These things steal our contentment. They kill our sense of security. They destroy our relationship with him. It makes me sad to see students struggle with a scarcity mindset. Uh, There's some authors that have written about scarcity versus abundance, and, and it's a study that's Totally worth your time. There's books on it. You can Google it. Um, the, the way I see it show up the most, student walks in on a Wednesday night. I say, hey, how are you? And they say, tired, immediately. And I say, okay, I have no follow-up questions because I get it, right? I understand. That's fair. And, and it's difficult. It's sad, right, that, hey, I don't have enough time. I don't have enough sleep. I'm overscheduled. I don't have these things. I, I wish I had more. I wish I had enough. And how sad it is to see a student struggle like that. And how sad it must be for the father to watch us struggle similarly. We do that, right? How'd you sleep? Not enough. How was dinner? You know, I wish there was more food. How was vacation? I wish it was longer. How's the family? Busy. I wish we had more time together. Jesus wants us to knock it off when it comes to that. When it comes to those things, he says, be content with what you do have. Take advantage of what you do have. He says, having a relationship with him is the abundant way of living. I love that. The good life, the lavish lifestyle that we seek, that we crave, that our soul wants is in relationship with him. Second time to reference Wes this morning, but Wes is a preacher I worked for at McDermott Road, and he says this, we can be content with what we have because what we have is Jesus. I love that. We can be content with what we have because what we have is Jesus. So this morning, we want to offer an invitation to you Uh, We want you to commit your life to Jesus. He wants that. He wants you to accept the abundant life. Um, Or if you need to stop robbing yourself, which is a very common thing to do, if you need to stop robbing yourself of contentment in Jesus, then we would love for you to respond in whatever way that you need to respond. Whatever you need from us, we want to be helpful. You can come up front. You can be baptized. Um, You can ask for prayers. Uh, You can meet with our shepherds in the prayer room over here after services. 
Whatever your need, we want to help. Would you come while we stand and while we sing? Oh,